It's 11.17 on a Saturday night, and we are back in the club doing a sting. No, we're not. We are listening to part two of our great interview with Jafet Gordon. If you have not listened to part one, get back over and listen to part one. Hey. Uh, Jafet. Spoilers. Part one is a banger, right? It's a banger. Oh, and this is, of course, my amazing co-host and podcast impresario, Blake Howard. Hello, partner. How you doing? Hello. I'm just jumping right into the episode because it's so fun. But um, we had a great conversation with uh, Jaffa Gordon, who was Colin Farrell's assistant on the set of Miami Vice. He's got a ton of stories and memories and insights into the Michael Mann working process, the Colin Farrell working process the Jamie Foxx working process. (laughs) Um, And it's just really uh, so fun to talk to him. He's such a nice guy. And uh, it's, it's been illuminating to say the least. I mean, if if you stitch these two things together, you are getting a perspective of not only Miami Vice in 2006, but the landscape of pre GFC movie making in Hollywood. And uh, that is one of those things that I'm struck by over these things. Obviously, it's got some wonderful tidbits. There's even more to come. If you've already listened to our first episode, I'm sure um, you're having a great time uh, as as we were listening and talking. Uh, but um, If only you could see our faces oh, that we were Jesus. making <laughs> as he was I might, talking. I might have to screen do some self-screenshots <laughs> of that first part of the interview because, like- because unfortunately uh, – um, in the first part of uh, in the first part of our show, because of a scheduling conflict, Katie jumps in. So right now, you might have heard myself and Jaffet talking, mostly him and me, just sort of prodding to get more information out of him. But you're about to hear uh, the beginning of this next episode is Katie and I coming together, and like a more traditional episode of Miami Nice with us talking Jaffet through everything. And so you'll hear a wrap up at the end, but we'll just jump in and say a quick hello to you because this is our first double episode, and like. Not to be put too fine a point on it, but we could have almost taken 10 minute sections of this and unpacked it ourselves for like an hour with every bit Just of information. Like one little piece and then us <laughs> analyzing it. But yeah, it really is a fascinating, um, you know, like you said, like it's not just, you know, this movie, but it's like this movie pre 2008 and the way that the, you know, Hollywood studio system was making movies at that moment in time, which was throwing money at them. That and so Throwing, like thinking that more money meant, and look, some filmmakers do kind of, they inspire that depending on the international locations, but you can totally see right now where you get mad at movies that look like they're all shot in Atlanta on green screens <laughs> with right. actors in different rooms from each other when they're shooting them. Um, you can see why that is the the antithesis, you know, that's the omega to the alpha of like the pre-GFC sort of filmmaking. And there are only some filmmakers that are around that can even remotely get close to like throw money at a set, use film, use big actors, close down a street, you know. So hearing about all this, just like traveling internationally and all the chaos that is involved, it's just like... It's really fast. It's genuinely fascinating. And like Kim Masters, as we said in the previous episode, has done the incredible investigative journalist piece that kind of defined the 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 feeling, or especially from a media perspective and the PR perspective of what the movie was. But Jaffet, it has a different outlook. I don't know if it's a rose-colored glasses or what, but it's just lovely to hear his take on this whole chaotic mess of a movie. Absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, I've never heard GFC global financial, financial crisis? crisis yeah all right okay sorry um, Austra- australians <laughs> and i did for a time apply my wares working for a financial institution so oh, okay acro- acronyms <laughs> were 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 everything katie i'm Are sorry acronyms like an, an aussie thing i just in australian business and corporate it's so infuriating because and especially like at least GFC, that's one that's like pretty universal like if you said GFC to most people they'd be like oh yeah cool yeah GFC, i gotcha mm-hmm. gotcha gotcha but um I worked in this financial institution for a time and different teams had different acronyms that were the same. So they'd say, have you got this? And you're like, they'd use an acronym. Have have you got a, uh, have you got a DA? And you're like a DA district, like first you go district attorney. A district attorney. And they're like, they're like, no, a discharge authority. And you're like, oh, that's what that's called. (laughs) And then someone else calls it something else. Someone else calls it a release of security. So it's an ROS. 
and you're like yeah every industry's got its own it's so lingo stupid. It's so yeah. stupid i hate it but you know gfc sorry that's the no 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 that's okay i was like wait it took me a second but uh <laughs> i just had to call that out but yeah so enjoy part two we will not talk about names for financial crises anymore but it is uh pertinent to this discussion because it is a totally different type of movie making in hollywood than we know now so um that's something that we uh, you know, found really fascinating about this discussion. Strap yourselves in. Who you know fresher than whole? Riddle me that. The rest of y'all know where I'm lurking at. Yeah. Can none of y'all mirror me back? Yeah, hear me rap. It's like hand G rapping his prime. I'm young H.O. Raps grateful dead. Back to take over the globe. Now break bread. I'm in Boeing Jets. Global Express. Out the country but the blueberries still connect. You were asking about Michael, Michael Mann and how, how he is on set, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, besides that physical kind of, he, he's, he's curt, he's very short, he doesn't get into lengthy conversations. Um, it's like, uh, he's, he's very mythical, you know? Before you meet him, you meet his assistants who will tell you, at least they told me like, all right, when he comes in, don't do this, don't do, it was like very much that Hollywood experience. Don't look at him, don't talk unless he talks to you, move out of the way, don't stand in his way. You know, like things like that, that you're not expecting. You're like, what am I about to meet? <laughs> and everyone has a story of him having made them cry at some point. Like, and these, and so it, it was scary before I met him. I was already like, this is, this guy's going to be a monster. Uh, and he wasn't, you know, he, he never yells. He, I've seen him yell once. And that's only because there was a helicopter going like right like 10 feet above him. And he was mad. So he, the volume got loud. But he's ne he never yells. He doesn't scream. So that like um, idea of that people may have about him is totally incorrect, as far as I know. Uh, so yeah, he, he Michael Mann is not a screamer uh, or um, an emotively uh, temper person. But you do get all the myth around him right away, and you see how everything is set up so that he can function smoothly through life. Like on location scouts and pre-production, one of my jobs was to drive my little crappy Honda Civic to some beautiful mansion and tell the owner of this house, okay, so when Michael gets here, he's only going to stop for ten minutes. Um, we need we need to be able to have access to the back, and please just have everything out of the way. And, I, and then I have a water bottle and I'm standing here and I'm just waiting for like Michael to get there. And it's like very much so he can just walk in and like something out of the show succession. <laughs> it's like very, <laughs> everything is like that. And then into a helicopter and somewhere else. So you, you get this feeling of like, you got to keep up with this guy. And then after you spend a lot of time right next to him, you realize he's really nice, loves his family, his daughters and his wife, super like, that's when you see him smile. Finally. Um, he, He's uh, very passionate about the work. Nothing comes before the work. Like I've seen him get on his hands and knees to yank something out of the way of the dolly. When, and he's like 60, you know, like he, there's nothing more important to him than like, gotta get this shot right, right now. And he'll push hours, he'll, he'll break rules. He doesn't, he's not, he's not, um, yeah, uh, he's driven. I'll say that he's driven. What I'm realizing, Katie, is you know how they say like filmmaking sometimes filmmakers make themselves characters in their own movies you know like the chris nolan thing of like dressing robert pattinson like himself and yeah. those sorts of things and leo with the same haircut and inception i think i'm learning that michael mann is like actually the archangel de jesus montoya like he's that guy like if we found a character for him it's that like he just comes in shit's done there's a whole bunch of other work that has gone on. They come in and say 30 seconds and he's out. Like he bounces onto the next really important thing. Excuse me, because I am very busy. I have many things to do, so this will be brief, yes? I will try you out on one now. To be ultras. A thousand keys out of Colombia. Your N is three million. And on Maros, when you work for me, you must do exactly what you say you will do. In this business with me, I do not buy a service. I buy a result. If you say you will do a thing, you must do exactly that thing. Then you will prosper beyond your dreams and live in Miami millionaire style. You will contact Anguardo Jose Yaro for logistics, communication, security. To do with money and terms, you will work through my Isabella. I look forward to our doing more work together. 
Whether we do or do not, it is unlikely that we will meet again. I extend my best wishes to your families. Thank you for making this trip to see me. Originally, and you would know this from pre-production, there was always this, what we've only heard like whispers or rumors about of this huge, uh, like Iguazu Falls, like the uh, Sierra de El. Uh, I'm gonna pronounce that wrong. Sierra de Este, yeah, yeah. Sierra yeah. de Este, thank you so much. The Sierra de Este conclusion that was happening at the Archangel de Jesus Montoya's compound, and there was going to be this huge, you know, this orchestrated infiltration of that that thing as the end of the movie, and then um, as uh, Kim Masters in the Hollywood Reporter at the time. Um, was that there was a shooting on there was an sh unrelated shooting a security guard and a police officer in Haiti and then it just sort of all devolved from that moment so can like yes. can you shed any insights oh can, I was can, there yeah can you share <laughs> you were there can you, share, can you shed any insights onto that because like that's the that's the big mystery that like pours production I didn't know do you know how many things happen on that that is a footnote to most of the other things on production like the, a guy that got shot. I remember we were flying back to uh, to uh, to the states, and people were like, "Did he die? I don't know. I heard he died. Like that was like not even nobody cared." Uh, but we were on set. We were shooting a night shoot, and bam, 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 bam. Wait, that's not. No one said hot going hot, right? So we get all these calls on set when a gun when and we're shooting gunfire right. all the time. That's very common in this movie. A lot of blanks, a lot of squibs. Uh, but we don't get a call from the armorer. So everybody got confused. Like, why do we hear gunshots? We were up in this apartment where we're filming, I think it was Dominican Republic. Everything runs together. Dominican Republic and Haiti are the same island. So yes. yeah, we were, we were, I think we were in Dominican Republic side of the border and literally a, a drunk un un-uniformed police officer was walking home from a bar totally unrelated and walks into uh, and he walks into our lockup so as a film set like you have security guards who are local people who are standing by a barricade saying don't pass while we until we say cut and and this guy didn't want to listen to this rule because he was drunk so these two get in an argument and they know each other because oh I, my god <laughs> and then the gunshots ring out and I remember everyone had a story. I was in a porta potty and a bullet missed me by a, I was with Jamie Colin, Jamie's sister. Colin's father was visiting. Oh my God. We have like a like an 80 year old Irish man sitting in a, one of the cast chairs as like a VIP guest that day. Everybody on the floor. Now we all have to get down. Like just cause we don't know where these shots are coming from, who's in the building. Everybody's on walkie trying to figure it out. And it was very late at night, like a 2 a.m. shoot. And we just shut it down. Everybody back to the hotels. And of course, it's just gossip now. Like, what are we going to do? What, what, is, this, is this it? Is this the end of it? Is everything over? But with Michael, like, you know that that's not, this, the movie's not going to stop. Um, I think we shot like the next day. We still had things to clean up. We still shot. And then we flew home on schedule. But I remember Jamie saying clearly, because, oh, we had a big production meeting in the ballroom of the hotel that night. Yes, this is now I'm starting to get a flashback. Everybody meet in the, go, go to your rooms, chill for a second, then we're gonna meet in the ballroom and we're all gonna talk about what happened. And we had like a big, you know, the first AD is telling us all, you know, is everybody okay? And this is the situation and the guy's in the hospital and we're gonna find out more details. And I remember Jamie stood up and said, I'm out, fuck this. <laughs> and he pulled the plug and him and his family like packed up and left. So we stayed and shot everything we could shoot without him. We went to Ciudad del Este. We shot a bunch of things without him with like that, the motorcycle sequence and the memory card getting passed to the casino. Like we, we went and shot all that stuff. We went to the falls. I have great like, uh, you know, camcorder footage of me at the largest waterfalls ever, but we didn't, we had to adjust. We had to adjust story because Jamie was not having it. And yeah, as I not, told- He was not coming, he was not coming back. Mm -mm, he was not gonna, he's like, this is too dangerous and you guys are not following protocols. And to be fair, it was kind of it was crazy like you see the things that are happening with alec baldwin now and it was there was I i've been thinking about that a lot yeah 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 i mean i can tell you that during pre-production on the gun range there was two or three accidental misfires wow. where a per, an actor was like oh oh i didn't know that was gonna happen 
Right. And, and people standing next to you are like, we're not wearing armor. You know, like these are live rounds. So it, that, that happened a few times at the Miami-Dade like police facility where we went to go do gun training, where I, I remember thinking that's crazy. That's, and I remember, <laughs> I remember a first AD telling the behind the scenes guy, you, you need to delete that tape. We, we, don't, we don't have that tape anymore. Uh, <laughs> but that's well, the question. It's interesting because I have been thinking a lot about the, the rust shooting. And then we've been watching a lot of these action sequences, especially the end. We've been rewatching them a lot for the past couple, um, episodes and I just I am struck every single time I'm like they must have had some damn good armorers on that set because yeah. there are cases shooting out of the side of the gun and there are so many you know rounds being you know shot that I'm just like everyone must have been super on top of their game um in terms of safety for those scenes because you know uh, and obviously the shooting that happened was unrelated to what was going on on set but Right. Um, you can see how, how a big star like Jamie Foxx would be like, and I'm going to go. <laughs> but I'm curious, was it the drunk police officer who shot the security guard? Ooh, good question. I don't know who shot who. I do. I think it was the, I think it was the police officer who shot our guard. Yes. Okay. That, okay. I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and, like someone from the set, but it is like, you know, it's, I guess it's, it's a local person we hire. Yeah. Like when these movies start, start to go into other countries, they set up a production office like months in advance. And when you land there, there's this little like Miami Vice Brazil office. And it's crazy. It's like doppelgangers of everyone, like the production coordinator. And like, it's so weird to see the local community that you just build, you know, like you build it up and then you shoot there and then you leave. And like that, what happened to that office? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Like a crazy circus that comes to town. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've been I thinking, think, I've, I've been thinking oh, about sorry. that. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I've been thinking about that Ross thing, which is just an utter tragedy in every respect. And it's like, they're shooting one gun. Like, yeah. Katie, to your point, like it's one gun on one set. And the fact that someone didn't check it. And then, like, you have this really irresponsible media outlets, like Alec Baldwin shot someone on set. And you're like, like, no. like I, I, who, will, who, I will mirror who, who all. Who handed that man, who, what arm, who handed that man that gun? Actors can't yeah. get a, I mean, we just talked about a bottle of water being ready and, yeah. and please move some furniture because a VIP is going through. Who handed that person that gun? Who didn't, who didn't instruct the people in the camera that there were going to be a live round or a potential live round or whatever, who didn't check it. It's really tragic, but yeah, like it, it is scary to think of. And that's one thing that Michael Mann has done in a lot of his prep is he sends, when he sends his people, he sends them to like. Miami Dade and makes them follow the police procedures, you know, like, because it's like, if, if I know that there's, they're going to be a controlled environment with weapons, whether you're shooting blanks or whether you're shooting live rounds or whatever, it's like, go to the place that they like make you wear glasses and headphones and all like right. um, earmuffs and, you know, armor and your training and you get a certificate or whatever. And you're monitored constantly by professionals, you know, like, so yeah, that. I like mean, if there's going to be a misfire, it has to be on the on the shooting range where there's a ton of people around and you're yes. not actually rehearsing and no one's behind. There's no cameras. There's no crew. It's yeah. like that's where you if you if there's going to be something happening, you know, in a safe, safer environment. But yeah. yeah, where there's also medical trained professional <laughs> yes. medical staff that are there. That if there is something hours happens. away from the <laughs> hospital, yeah. So, I mean, there's just so much tragedy that happened obviously in rust and and we don't have to completely yeah. derail it but it is i okay. it's something i've been thinking about a lot watching these scenes with gunfire in miami vice yeah i mean there's the, the protocols like have you seen the behind the scenes on collateral where tom's being trained mm, yes like so that same uh, military expert his name is mick gould he's like a, a british special forces guy amazing um like, yeah, like you're saying, the protocols that he would take just in the training of like, I was a PA and I had to learn, you never point a gun. I was like, I'm not touching the guns. <laughs> like, <laughs> they were all, everyone was so crazy about it. Um, yeah, it was intense. Uh, and there was guns everywhere. Like every country we went to, it'd be like, and here's the armorer bringing the, the truck of things through because that is a movie about, you know, crime and violence. Yeah, yeah. Just to talk about... Um, like what like so my evolution with michael like when i first met him again it's like a weird 
energy that you just get from other people around him. I assume in the most positive way I can say it's kind of, it must be what it's like to meet a cult figure because before you meet that person, they're already, you already see the proxies around them acting in such a respectful, like deferent way. Like I saw people older than him, you know, department heads who had their own Oscars in wardrobe and, and, and they would just like, yes, Michael, no, Michael. And I was like, so I started to, okay, like, I guess that's how we act, you know, like it, it was very strange for me to be this college kid and think this is, this is such a, uh, a heavy authoritative presence, but after spending all that time with them and then you get in the trenches, if you've ever done a movie for your listeners out there, it's the most intimate family experience with a bunch of people that you then kind of never see again. Yeah. <laughs> spend this weird time with them and by the end I remember we were scoring so we're doing we're back in LA this I had finally moved out here and um he was on the Fox stage what like trying to get the sound right like that that far into it picture was locked and people were popping champagne and he set down his champagne and turned to me and another assistant two nobodies and went I hope I didn't fuck this up <laughs> wow! <laughs> it's in the movie so like i hold that in my head all the time like, you're never gonna feel good jafet like i because i'm working on a project right now i'm writing a tv show for hbo max and i keep having these moments of like you know this imposter syndrome and, and, and this guy was at a place where i mean some people i'm sure there's people that don't love my advice that think he did fuck it up but he would the fact that he was at that place where people the the people from universal wanted to have champagne because it was done and he was like i got you know that's tough that's a tough that's a tough place to be creatively there's something kind of comforting about someone that you view as like an idol or like at the the highest level of what they do and and them admitting that they have imposter syndrome as well that's both comforting and disheartening because you're like, oh my God, like this person also, you know, feels the same way I do, but like, oh fuck, it's never gonna go away. <laughs> I can get to the absolute top and be an expert and it's never gonna go away. That's that that's the thing I think of, Katie, when you say that. It's like, but he goes, Oh fuck, I haven't fucked it up. I'm like, he thinks that? <laughs> yeah. I tell you, oh, let me, no. you want me to give you one worse? I'll give you one worse. I was the I was the stand-in. This isn't Miami Vice related, but I spent two years as a stand-in for Dwayne the Rock Johnson. What? Great gig, great guy, uh, amazing. I'm just Stop the same. I, this I'm show just... is never going to end with you coming. We're going to have to do a mini series. Four hours. I've, I've seen that man look in the mirror and say, oh, "God, I got to think." Like thinking about parts of his body he wants to fix. So I'm like, if you can't be happy, bro, it's never, it's not coming. There's like, you gotta be a Buddhist. I'd be like, I'd, I'd be like, bro, you get up at like three in the morning. Like, and eat like 17 pounds of cod. His meal is, is crazy, he's crazy. He's an insane person. That, that's a whole other podcast, but that's a, another great guy. Super crazy, charismatic. They all have that thing in common where they wouldn't be normal. If they were sitting next to you in a cubicle, you'd go, something's wrong with him. Yes. <laughs> totally. Like, they have to do what they do because yeah. it's like they're just wired differently. I have to ask you about because we, we did briefly talk about Dominic Lombardozzi. So Stan's why tech in the movie. We like talked about him for like two seconds, just about like his like, you know, he's like, I've got two lines in this movie. I'm having to do all this training. Tell me about the people, some of these surrounding people, because we talked about Colin a little bit. We yes. talked a little bit like um, obviously uh, about Gong Lee and about Naomi Harris and Katie confirmed a body double uh, for Naomi Harris, not actually her in the shower. Um, with Jamie oh, Fox, um, didn't want okay. to be in the buff. But can you tell me a little bit like being around ever, like people like Barry Shabaka Henley, who I think is like part of the furniture in Michael Mann movies, but he's like just one of the greatest character actors of all time. Hines. It's you Hines. know what it is? Michael, those are the people Michael loves. He loves those performances. They're just grounded. They're very, they're very pocketed in what they do. And yeah, Barry and Kieran, I remember like Kieran has to like deliver all the, the expo in this movie. And like, we would sit around for hours just doing coverage of four guys standing in a parking lot. And, it, and Michael would be loving it. Like every crew members would be falling asleep. It was so hard to get through that much dialogue. And Michael's oh like enthralled, you know, like, ah, he's wow. talking about the FBI works. He's explaining <laughs> jurisdiction. This is great. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I love those. I just can't get enough of those guys. I like love them. I love okay, those guys. Justin Pro was a, a treat. Like he came in the way he was. I didn't know anything about this kid, right? So to me, I, again, 2005, Justin Thoreau's not even on the map 
uh, as far as like a star. No, he was in Six Feet Under for like an episode or something. I, I, something. He had done it like an episode of an HBO show and somehow made his way into a Michael Mann movie and was so cool. Like the most just like relaxed. What are we doing? All right, let's do that. Dominic, on the other hand, had a little bit like, why we got to, bro? Why we got to do so much of this shit, bro? There's like a lot of shit going on. Like he, he really wanted to have a happy party and like not work so hard, which I get too as an actor. Um, I'll say uh, Elizabeth Rodriguez. Yes. I can't remember any character names. I just remember the actors. Okay. I a lot of time. But Elizabeth Rodriguez was awesome. Um, Naomi Harris felt like very, uh, she spent a lot of time being worried about her New York accent not playing because she has a very thick British accent. Yes. I, she, I think she nailed the accent. She I did. think she did too. I love her as Trudy. Please yeah. tell us any Eddie Marsden stories. For the love of God. <laughs> Nothing from Eddie. I mean, he was, he's quiet. He's very quiet and polite. He's not at all outgoing or crazy. We not only, at all like his characters. <laughs> he his characters have, are like a hundred and he's like, sounds like he's like at 20. Super, he's like, I'm good. Super mellow, super mellow guy and very quiet. Like would ask astronauts in, in this kind of intimate way, you know, like a very quiet fella. And I remember what I only thing I remember about that scene, like, is that he when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When they all meet in that apartment is that we couldn't, we didn't have access to that mansion, that beautiful out the window where Colin looks and has that dreamy moment. Yeah. Like we we wanted those windows, but the person who owned that penthouse was like that, this just this room. So I remember everyone in the crew is hiding in a corner of that room. <laughs> There's not like, normally you'd put Video Village in a bedroom and like, oh, okay. who's running, but the whole crew, everyone, craft service is all right there behind camera, tucked in. It looks like a big, beautiful, spacious Just Sweating. No, no access at all, yeah, no AC. Um, wait, how about John Ortiz? That's exactly what I was going to say. We haven't talked, we have not even gone Cochi Loco yet. We have not gone John Ortiz yet. So that's He's amazing. He took it on himself. So I think John, because I spent time with him in pre-production too, like that was also for some reason, one of my jobs was get him to the gun range too. And oh, I hear that thing. There we go. Uh, and I think um, part of his, like John Ortiz took it on himself to challenge everyone to like, we're gonna fucking act in these scenes. Like, I wanna act. I remember that was part of his thing. And I didn't even know who he was. Like, I'm a huge fan of De Palma, love Carlito's way. During filming, saw that sequence with John Ortiz and Pacino and Carlito's way. And I was like, wait, that's, cause I know that sequence so well. Like that's the that's the movie poster with him in the pool cue. <laughs> yeah. Gets killed and I was like, John, that, that's a baby you. So all of a sudden I'm fangirling about John Ortiz and I'm sitting next to this guy from Carlito's way. Um, but yeah, he's just, uh, I, don't, I don't think, I'm trying to think if I have any stories about John. We, we, it, we spent so we little just, time. We just want to know like how good he was. Like if you ever saw him, I mean, because that's the other guy universally, like obviously we talk so much about Colin and Jamie and all those main characters, but the character that like almost universally everyone wants to bring up. And even as recently as Jean-Baptiste Theray, the great film critic and writer, he's like, I just want to talk about Jean Ortiz. And like Katie and I are like, yes, like we can't wait for this, you know, like, like, because he's, he's, yeah, yeah, he's just, he's just like 10 out of 10, like 10 out of 10. There aren't as, there aren't nearly enough great villainous ambivalent, characters like him and like you know and because the movie is ultimately set up with like this huge archangel figure but he's like the main man and so so much of the focus of the antagonism between these two forces in the movie is him so you know he he just like is so sure and so stable he's the passion movie. he's the passion of of the antagonist duo yeah. there yeah and it, like one story i will tell you is just he's he's he comes from the theater so he has a super supportive actor attitude. We were filming, God, I don't know what you want to call this scene, like first negotiation of Crockett and Tubbs. They're in like mm. that downstairs weird place. And Gong Li is there. And this was the, her first day filming. 
and she's super insecure. She had a dialect coach, but she doesn't know English. And I always tell actors, because I, I work with young actors, I say, you know, when you have like technical jargon or something hard to say in a script that you don't understand, you know, think of this woman who spent her whole life speaking Mandarin and being at the top echelon of her game and then trying to deliver lines that to you are like speaking Mandarin, you know, and, but with passion. Ph phonetically executed. And also please have a Cuban accent. On top of that. Yeah, like, She's like, I'm Chinese Cuban. So her first thing she ever had to say was put your guns on the table. That's her first line ever in the in in my memory because it was like it became lore on set because she was so sweet and effusive she would walk around like a craft service and say put your guns on the table huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like she oh just wanted God. everyone to like say you're doing great Lee your accent's oh. awesome so she was so sweet and she's sitting across from John Ortiz and Colin's there and Jamie's there and a bunch of background thugs and I remember her saying like. I don't, I don't want to brag. My job is, I got to cue her. So I'm, I'm laying on the floor in that scene behind the pole. And when I hear something on the radio, I tap her thigh. And then she says her line, cause she's not supposed to look. She's just supposed to say it cool with her glasses. So I tapped her leg and she said, put your gun. Oh, I'm so sorry. And like breaks, you know, character. Cause she flubbed the line. And I remember John was the first one to be like, hey, 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 like hand on hand. Hey, you got this, you know, reach out to her. Oh. And it was that I was like, that's a theater guy. You know, yeah. being a theater guy is different. Um, he, he cared. He cared that she was feeling that insecurity. Her first words out loud on this set where everyone's just looking at you. You know, it, it was it was scary for her. And I remember John wasn't going to let her like flail around alone. And that was beautiful. Aww, oh, he's, so sweet. he's a sweetie pie. He, look, yeah. he is in love with her in this movie. Like, so, yeah, you know, um, Katie, <laughs> you, will, you will have to listen back because uh, the shower scene in Cuba um, was basically a closed set with Gong Lee and uh, and Colin Farrell and a bottle of wine, and that's how they achieved those things. Yep. Well, 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 indeed. We all, we all went outside. We all went outside, and there was a cubic coffee truck that came to set, and everybody just sat around and waited till they said that's a wrap. It was like, well, the sun's setting. We know we have magic hour, and it's going to yeah. be beautiful. But so it was just home. Michael and them, and like the camera operator and the sound. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> Man, this is like a decade. You guys are bringing no. me back to my, all the things that I learned when I first got in this business. So, oh, one, so one of the funniest things that Katie and I do now is uh, one of our favorite things, sorry, and it is fun, is we go and look at Miami Vice, like premiere photography and early junket <laughs> press, because we have heard some of the things that you've like crystallized of like ego and challenges and you know, little bits of conflict on the set and doing what you had to do and maybe pivoting some ideas because of, you know, challenges or whatever. Um, but then we love people like fake smiling together and you can just, I love when you can feel like a fake smile. It just gives me this perverse joy. Like, oh God, they really hate each other. Cause like if anyone, and this is where I think people can relate. If you ever worked in like a corporate environment and you see like two bosses that you maybe have worked with one of them and you know how much shit that boss talks about like his peer and they meet each other and they like act like they're best buddies. Those faces are also on actors, right? They're also on actors who, you know, like they don't, they just don't get along. And so I wonder like once the movie's together, w did you ever have like a moment, like obviously like cast and crew where you guys got together, you saw it and you could engage and you could watch how like it was how it did how it was impacting the people who were watching it after this whole like you know like you said six months of pre-production and all this stuff 13 months of your life at that time yeah i mean for me i personally i couldn't even understand what i was watching because i was so close to it everything yeah. i remember that oh there we are then, we, then that's how that came out it was it was a very weird experience because i had just been to film school i hadn't actually been in big productions ever so it was very strange to me how the narrative didn't even land on me literally like in the last three or four years i've watched it and gone uh-huh yes of course they took his family like <laughs> I, I just remember the sets and be like that's on the miami river oh that's where we had that problem you know so yeah 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 it's incredible it's to be able to enjoy it now but i do remember after the premiere being baffled by like no one talking about it like I would see people from the crew out at bars like months later, or like I said, I subsequently worked in pre-production on Public Enemies with Michael Mann. So a lot of the same family was around and no one would be like, hey, Miami Vice, it was, 
it, it, you know, like when we worked on Miami Vice, a lot of people wouldn't talk about Collateral or Ali either. It would be only like the the stories from set, but not the actual work, the art itself. Like yes. that, it's really weird how it's almost like a non-opinion. Like no one says, I love this movie or, oh, that's a disappointment. Like I've never, I don't know any of my colleagues on that movie's opinion of the movie. It's really that's, almost, that's almost like it's like the, it's the process that's yeah. that's important and that for us you know like as these huge michael mann fans who just want to like pour over the finished product and kind of unpack it and the details and things it's like that's how it exists for us but for the people who make it or even man himself like it's about you know really putting in the research and the work and and doing the process and like making it as good as possible but then it's sort of like then they can leave it behind and move on to something else yeah, like his first AD, a gentleman named Michael Waxman, had done everything since Mohicans. And like, I remember asking him, like, what's your favorite Michael Mann movie? He's like, they're all good. Like, almost like, I don't like, I don't care. I'm like, what do you mean? You're his right hand through everything. How do you not have a favorite Michael movie? He's like, ah, they're, all, they're all pretty good. Like, it's, it's, but it's like, at that point, <clears throat> I often wonder if it's like, I watched, uh, like, speaking in, like, movie parlance, I watched, like, a Moneyball the other day, which mm -hmm. is terrific. You know, yeah. I, I frequently will just turn it on because it's just, I don't know, it just has, like, a music to the dialogue, and yes, it's just, a, it's the exposition is just, it's just a nice noise in your house. When you, yeah, it's, it's, it's very nice. And, um, but I just remember, it's, like, one thing I found fascinating, and I, it, like, took me to second screening, was, like, did Billy Bean, like, the, uh, Brad Pitt's character, did he really just never watch a game? He's right. the person who was so deeply invested in this team and yeah. so deeply invested in his process and so deeply passionate about the sport and all this stuff happens and he can't watch the fucking game. And I like went Googling and it's true. Like it's a, it's a truism. Like it's, it, it feels like dramatic license, but it's actually true. Like he couldn't watch the games or he'd turn the t TV on for 10 seconds and turn it off. Cause he just can't. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, wow. Like that is, you know, you must imagine, like you said, Michael's right hand for Waxman, like he's, in the trenches like he's like i don't need to see the movie i saw 50 versions of the movie right. like i saw 50 versions at every scene of the movie every take i was in the pocket watching it like i'll see the movie and i can go huh yeah good but like the process is that process so yeah it's really fascinating it's one of those both fascinating and also again to katie's point before about these people who still have insecurities it's kind of like disappointing it's like wouldn't you want to say that you could like go back and appreciate <clears throat> this immense thing that you've done that has had a profound potential cultural impact. And you're like, yeah, learn right. from it, learn like, ah, oh, you know, my next one, I think I want to get into the first act faster. Like I, any of that, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I know a lot of actors like that too, that don't watch their own stuff, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. That's a bit strange for me. Oh my God. This is like, there's like 500 more questions I could ask. I know. <laughs> I, um, if there's any good stories. Can I we, no, can, can we ask, because we've talked about it, and this is now us validating and demystifying something. How close was the hurricane? It's a good one. Hurricane? Not that close. No. I mean, <laughs> when? Where were we? What hurricane? No, so Hurricane Katrina was close because that was always oh, the thing that there were certain there were certain days on set or things like that. Not at all. I mean, here's the thing: being born and raised in Miami, every season it's like five, six, ten tropical storms come through, and Katrina. Because you, only in hindsight do you realize that the levees are going to break and it's going to cause all this damage and, and loss of life and property. At the time, it literally was just a category three, I think, four storm, like yeah. just another storm. So I don't think it affected us at all i remember weather wise our main issues were heat like i remember watching a camera guy fall over from like heat like i gotta get more water yeah. wow it's miami heat but you guys were shooting in like august september yeah we shot i mean man i, I mean, don't know was probably very very long but yeah we did some because first we did all of miami and then we started traveling to other countries and stuff but yeah and my and the day shoots were in the summer and then yeah. we transitioned to nights and I'd never done a night shoot before. And we ended up doing months of nights. Like that whole, the whole end sequence, the shootout at the boat yard is like, it took, I don't know, three weeks of just going to the same spot every night <laughs> with the same guns and the same, like every night back to that same boat yard for wow. 
almost a month. That's an incredible sequence. It's like, I can't just even thinking about how it was achieved and the detail and the editing and the storyboarding and the safety that must, I, I can't imagine how long that took. I don't know how other people work, but this guy, like I said about meticulous, Michael Mann would walk on set, he'd have his viewfinder, he would look at something and uh, like point to the ground and some assistant would run over with chalk or a, like a stake and hammer into some some random part of a sidewalk in Miami and then measure the height that Michael was at and write that down. And then Michael would just keep walking and find another thing and find another thing. And then Michael would get in a car and leave and 10 or 15 people would go back over everything he just said into his recorder and every step he took because in two months, that's where the camera's gonna be. Like, wow. it's not gonna change. That is exactly where he's gonna film that shot. And it was crazy. I remember going back and thinking, I was here when we scouted this place. That's where we drove the stake in the ground. That's where the camera is, is a very weird feeling. Cause I thought it was just much looser than that, you know? And, I, and I, as I've worked on other sets, it has been, you know, a director will just show up and go, I'm feeling this, let's put the camera over here. But I hear, you know, I hear Michael Finch Mann has no feelings. No, no. I'm just like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's not, you know, he, I, that's, that's like the most on brand shit, Michael Mann shit. Like people listening and be like, yeah, that's, that's why he's yeah. Michael Mann. That's why, that's why we took, that's why you can spend, you know, however many hours we will c cumulatively spent together talking about Michael Mann. That's why you can, because yeah. he's that guy. Um, because one of the things we also found fascinating, part of the reason why I wanted to ask about Hurricane Katrina and the storm is just because you as a filmmaker know like the osmosis of a natural shot. Like there's a moment where Colin is in an exchange. I think it's one of the Fajima exchanges where he says, meanwhile, oh, like he, goes, he, he goes, meanwhile, and the fucking lightning just goes boom. Like it's a punctuation. Like it's literally nature's comma. Yeah. And I can't get over it. I've watched yeah. it a thousand times. I can't get, I can't, I go, how? And I've how? looked at it and I'm Lucky blowing baby. it up and I'm just like, was it, it can't be visual effects. I'm like, it's not visual oh, effects. No, 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 that happened. I was there that night too. That, that definitely happened. That is the rooftop of our production office. So I'm yeah. free pro. We were in this office building downtown and I remember we scouted everywhere looking for this phone call with, uh, what's his name? You know, like we got to do the, the, our half of the phone call. Where are we yes. going to film that thing? That's not the top of that nightclub at all. Like that's yeah. so right. such a different place. We were just, well, well, this is where we live. Let's just take all the gear upstairs to the top <laughs> of this roof. And it just happened. That's a regular Miami night, just regular lightning happening and getting lucky. I remember listening to a podcast with, uh, Denny talking about making Dune. He was like, we're in Jordan and the wind is blowing and I didn't know I was going to get this shot and the gods, the movie gods, they smile on me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was one of those, you know, like Michael just got lucky that night. And yeah, I remember, I remember it was beautiful. It was scary though. I mean, we're on the, that roof is not made to be shot on. Yes. So everybody's yeah. like strapped in harnessed to like stakes in the ground. So you can't accidentally lean over the edge of the roof. It was oh. like, a little bit of that because it's not like a public accessible roof it's where only it's where it's where maintenance people usually go and they have run the wire runners you know that yes. they clip onto their belt so they can walk around and do maintenance that's exactly. crazy so all the camera michael everybody but it's also hot it's also heartening yeah. you know when you hear like yeah we're in harnesses and we're staked in so we didn't fall off the roof like yeah, as opposed to some of the other stories you hear where like oh no like people were driving they this and cars were smashing here and glass was falling on these people and you're like okay it's nice yeah, to yeah. actually hear that every time they give actors power over anything i know we were talking about rust a little bit as an actor myself i i, I was on a i was on an episode of csi miami where like i have like i'm just a guest star with like two scenes and in one scene, I'm a like I'm a valet at a fancy hotel, and this isn't in the script. Just on set the day of, they go. So uh, we're gonna have um, Tom from Transpo pull up in a Corvette. You'll hop in and just drive it away, so we can establish that you're the valet. And no one's seen my driver's license. No one's asked me if I can drive. There's like 50 extras in front of me, and they just give me like you know all this horsepower. And I, I remember thinking, I'm a great driver. I'm glad I know what I'm doing. I've actually driven. I, I know I, I can handle this. But they didn't ask me. Do you feel okay? Right. Oh my God. Vehicle, young actor. Like it's not, it wasn't part of the audition. Can you drive? There was none of that. It was just, hey, at this part, drive the car through there. You know, like that happens a lot on set. So I've been told stop right here, right before the actor, just stop. And I go, do you want to 
maybe we should have a stunt guy. <laughs> yeah, no, we should have a stunt guy. Yeah, because <laughs> stunt guys can stop this car on a dime. That's right. what we want. We don't I'm just, want. I'm the face of emotions. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not a precision driver. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Yeah, Jaffet, I don't even know what to say other than to say, just wow. It's one yeah, of the thank most. You for sharing. Uh, it's an amazing story, and I know that you may have. You said that maybe an old hard drive is kicking around with some behind-the-scenes stuff, with some production stuff. If you've got it, my Dropbox, our Dropbox, would love to pour over that. Um, I will if, send you some stuff. I have. I so I was like, you know, out of film school, and I just bought a DV cam, you know, with cassettes. Like that's the era we're in. And I videoed, you know, everything. Like that was my, I just wanted to be a little behind the scenes monkey. So I, I tried to film everything. I, I haven't actually poured through it all, but there is, there is a hard drive somewhere that says MV on it. <laughs> all those clips somewhere. Oh my God. To bring the, what, the whatever Holy you can, Grail, MV. Whatever yeah. you can do, whatever you can do uh, to find that Holy Grail, send it through. We deeply appreciate it. Hearing like the pre- also, getting an understanding of Miami Vice is one of the last pre-bust, like pre-financial crisis bust movies, productions yeah. that everything can be signed off. Any amount of hours can be signed off. Any crew that it's just like it's the budget. Giorgio is- Armani designed the clothes. Then Michael Mann took a private jet to Italy to meet Ferrari's son to talk about the Ferrari. Like that's oh. like, let's look up some stuff on the internet and pick a car. It's like, I'm going to Ferrari's factory to meet the grandson of Ferrari so we can get the Ferrari that we need for the car. For the like, Everything was that level of, what are we doing? What is this? It was so crazy. Everything I've done after that has been a letdown. <laughs> you know, I, I I mean, not to jump in on this, but, but uh, I worked, I was like a temp and an assistant in the film industry in New York um, in 2005, 2006. And why I mean, haven't we talked about this yet? Throwing money. I mean, they they I was like a temp. They would let me take a car service wherever I wanted. They got me a hotel so I could be closer to the junket. Like they would I mean, it was it was insane. I, I worked on the junket for um the third uh X-Men movie that Brett Ratner directed, and Fox was just throwing money at that thing. Um so bad movie and very expensive junket. <laughs> they were like, you know, Colin, before you get down to Dominican Republic, you should probably go down and set up Colin's house for him. I was like, what's the budget? There's no budget. Just like go down there. We're going to fly you down and just take a week or two to like really make it nice for him. What? Yeah, here, just figure it out and just tell us all the purchase orders you need. So I was like walking around Dominican Republic. I have a blank check to make house nice. It was, crazy, <laughs> it was so crazy how they would just do things like that so that when he lands, he can feel comfortable to act. Like the things that don't make sense as a, That's they would so sign funny. everything. They were like, that oh. makes sense to me. Colin needs more cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Jaffet, look, thank you so much. It's been amazing talking to you. You yes, are great. Thank you so much. You are just so a phenomenal uh, a person to meet, firstly. So it's lovely to meet you. And secondly, thank you so much for reaching out because truly, like, you've, like, unlocked some of the mysteries of this movie that I think are behind there. And, like, it's I, I don't think people's opinions are necessarily going to change. It is a, a, like, you know, it was a conflicting time. It's already been covered in the media, like, whatever. But I just, I I think it's it's sometimes fascinating to hear, and especially you, you're like, I mean, talking to you, I'm like, selfishly, there has to be like the Jaffet Gordon, like almost famous PA version of this story. Like I like, like fuck almost famous. Like I love it. But like right now, all I want in my whole life is the 24 year old Jaffet, like literally doing, living this life and the whole thing from your perspective, because it might be one of the greatest like, and you just like change the names and like, just as, as you know, it, it's not Miami Vice or whatever it is, but it's just like, I feel like it would be everyone who listens to any show that we've ever done's dream to like, for you as the filmmaker, like talk about full circle moments we talked about earlier in our chat, but that full circle moment of you writing that, because it will be like, I can just see you as the filmmaker on the junket. Like, did this actually happen? And you're like, oh yeah, 
<laughs> you gotta write this script. You gotta I got write the receipts. Script. You got I'm it. Right. I mean, it is it, it. When Tropic Thunder came out, I remember going, "Yep, that's yep. all. That could all happen." <laughs> I don't think it was like not shocking at all. Like that's like this is not Michael, satire. This Michael, is Michael, not, this Michael's documentary footage. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. <my God. laughs> so great. Well, look, Jaffet. Like again, it's great chatting to you. Yeah. Best of luck on the HBO Max series. Thank All the you. best with everything you're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate yes, thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Nice to meet you both. Stay in touch and I'll try yeah, to yeah. send you. All right. You okay. Keep it up. Great work. Well, that was an awesome interview with Jaffa Gordon. We cannot thank him enough for coming on and, and just sharing all of this insight and, you know, being a great guest and a great guy and uh, so fun to listen to his stories. But Thank you all for listening to these two episodes uh, going on this journey with us. Um, these may be the last two episodes of 2021 of Miami Nice, but we will be coming back, obviously, with more episodes in the new year. As long as people keep showing up and saying they want to talk about Miami Vice, this show is going to go on, okay? The, the, show, the show will go on. And we've even, like, we've even got some another couple of banger guests like we may put out like depending on some things happening we've got more coming and in the true insider spirit which we seem to be kind of like getting people who are actually a, there we may have a, another insider maybe another insider <laughs> to talk to you, and if any other insiders want to just float their way over here i mean we're open to it eddie marzan if you're listening <laughs> eddie get, eddie get in the linen get back get back <laughs> let's do it um so yeah, look, guys, thank you for everything, Jaffet. Where yeah, you know, can't say enough nice things about the guy. Incredibly grateful, inc incredibly gracious, and also incredibly candid. Like in an industry that sometimes uh, puts up its fortifications around certain things, you know, I feel like he's gone. The statute of limitations is done. We can yes. have a conversation, and I feel like that's um, really precious. So it's it's awesome for us to be the place that he felt comfortable sharing these stories, and and we hope that our and we we know that this is the audience that is going to love it. So um, we're really absolutely really stoked. We're really stoked. Yep. Well, have a happy new year. See you in 2022. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.